welcome to the Gig Work Podcast, a podcast brought to you by the Wage Indicator Foundation. In this podcast, we highlight developments, best practices, research, and more on global issues in the gig economy. My name is Martijn Aretz, and I am your host today. Platforms in the domains of delivery and taxi dictate the conditions of millions of workers worldwide in terms of income, control and access to work. The powerful positions of platforms to control these variables and defend corporate interests and profit margin frequently leads to protests by this group of workers. The fact that protests take place is not news for anyone. It is just that the reporting on this is based on random case studies and information is often incomplete. This is not a good thing, as it is important to understand the dynamics behind this protest, the wishes of workers and the institutions involved in organizing protests. Only then you really can understand what is going on and what action or reaction contributes to solving problems. To gain a better understanding of these protests, to see what the differences are in protests in different parts of the world, and to learn if and how platform protests are different from non-platform sectors, a team of researchers from the University of Leeds mapped nearly 2,000 worker protests in the Leeds Index of Platform Labour Protests. For the Gig Work podcast from the Wage Indicator Foundation, I took the train to Leeds to talk to Vera Trapman and Simon Joyce, two researchers behind this comprehensive project. So Simon and Vera, thanks for having me here in Leeds. Vera, maybe you can start by introducing yourself. Yes, my name is Vera Trapman. I'm a professor of comparative employment relations here in the Center of Employment Relations, Innovation and Change. I'm Simon Joyce. I'm a uh, research fellow at the ESRC Research Center on Digital Futures at Work, known as Digit, based here at Leeds in the business school also. And you're both part of the team that's made the Leeds Index of Platform Labour protests? The Leeds Index is a database that we have created because... So we're coming from different angles, basically. We're a bunch of colleagues who were really interested in platform work and platform economy. Uh, we were several who had written a report for the European Parliament on the protection of platform workers... And we were fascinated by the topic and wanted to understand more about the phenomenon. Me personally, coming from an angle where I was interested, how is it possible that a particular group of workers, platform, were very vocal about their interests and very vocal about how they want work to look like and I was curious to understand what is so particular about this group. And other colleagues had very other different main interests in understanding this. Um, and then we decided we need to find a way to show how much of protest is actually ongoing worldwide. So we just had somehow very kind of micro-level knowledge of where are riders striking, in what city happens something. So we knew a lot about the UK, mainly because Simon and others were really good observers about the scene in the UK. We had some knowledge about other countries like Germany, where we have done qualitative research on riders. But it was really lacking a kind of understanding 
where else is something happening? In the literature, you know something about Italy or Argentina. But we decided we really want a global understanding of where protest is happening. And we understood protest very broadly because... So sometimes if there are formalized working relationships, you could see, okay, workers go on strike. Other times, if they're self-employed, they would just go on demonstrations or would put scrap in front of a corporate headquarter. So, so the forms, how discontent was formulated is, is very different. And we wanted to capture all those forms. And yeah, so we had then... The, the problem, how do we find um, and locate all this protest? And we were very much inspired by Beverly Silver and her research on the forces of labor. So we investigated how, de how she did it, how did others do some protest event analysis. And we wanted to be as broad as possible Because sometimes there are problems with what is actually reported in newspapers. Do you have censorship in some countries? Do you just have local coverage of, of protests? You don't have necessarily the national media reporting on it. So we invented a new methodology with which we would scrape a lot of newspapers. We worked with GDELT which is a project run by Google and some independent programmers. And they basically, um, they, they scrape the World Wide Web about reports of protest events. And they do this they, with broad coverage of newspapers. There are hundreds and maybe thousands of sources that they access. And they do it in 65 languages And they do translate it immediately. So that gives an, an incredibly huge access to reporting about really anything, but in our case about workers raising concerns and issuing voice. And the, it produces, if you go into GDEL and you look into, let's say, okay, where did, you, where did workers of Uber protest or what, where did they strike? You get millions of entries so we had to pro program some kind of machine learning that helps us filter this information to make it manageable so we have pro programmed an interface that helps us with the data scraping but then we still had to read all of this manually so we we are we, we had to build a really huge team who works with this data and who yeah basically reads and thousands of articles about workers protesting in the platform economy so you need to find a way to scale the research and also the data collection because what you say so first that it was more like small stories of individual strikes just as a coincidence that people mentioned and now you want to scale it and as i have read it right on the website there are all now over 2000 individual project actions now listed in the in the in the index and simon why do you think because like many occupations within platform work are, are there already for hundreds of years uh, we already had taxis we already had food delivery we already had domestic cleaners And I know with your research, you're really focusing on the more delivery and taxi and, and couriers, so more the on-demand platform where the 
impact of the algorithm is, of course, the biggest, which is, of course, from my academic pers- perspective, the most interesting part to, to discuss. I see you smiling, so I think you also agree on that. But why do you think that this, this technology really made that people were processing more and organizing more than, let's say, 10 years before? Some of those... I mean, we the, we looked at the, the kind of local, what's been called perfectly tethered platform work. So the drivers, the deliverers, and so on. Really because they're the most, they're just the most publicly visible forms of platform worker protest. You know, it, so we, it, it's clear there's stuff going on with online click work and so on. But it's just much harder to see. And we start with what we'd start with the stuff that's more visible. Um in lots of places around the world things like taxi drivers have historically quite often been well organized so there's there's unions of taxi drivers in london in south america and other places in europe in the usa taxi drivers have been organized i mean you can't say the same for food delivery workers because i mean it's been done but i think the scale of it now is much bigger i think a couple of things happened with platform work one is that for the first time you had large corporations running the operation instead of small local operations so you know taxi drivers in london or new york they might have issues with the companies who lease them the cars that they drive around in and and you know the garages who run that kind of operation but there's lots it's a market that's made up of lots of sort of smaller medium-sized companies again the workforce very often self-employed anyway genuinely self-employed but with a a long history of kind of grievances and organization the big difference is that the big platforms now operate global operate well there's a lot of big regional operations where you know in lots of countries in a in in a geographical part of the world but then and then there's the genuinely global ones you know like uber and so on And that's kind of introduced a new dynamic. It's brought out much more an obviously labour capital relation there, though. So there's no, it's not, it's usually not formally formal employment, although that does happen in some, in some case. But nevertheless, there's a there's a there's a clear sort of centralised uh, platform that a lot of people have the same grievances with, and I think that tends towards collective organisation a bit more. Than the old setup. The other thing is that a lot of these platforms attracted workers by paying, like taxi drivers could earn more money if they switched to Uber, and then, and then afterwards there's been downward pressure on wages. So it just looks like, I mean, it is the most algorithmic. But one of the things that comes through quite strongly in the data we've found is that the biggest grievance by a long way is pay. In these jobs, these kinds of work, you get this combination of high-tech, digitalized, algorithmic stuff, which is, with a lot of which is quite new, quite novel, but combined with characteristics that, at the bottom end of the labor market that are not novel at all. The precarious employment, in, insecure employment, low relate, rates of pay, unreliable rates of pay. I mentioned the, the project we did for the... European Parliament on social protections for platform workers and what was really clear in that was things like you know the, the people who are, who found it the most difficult in platform work were the ones who didn't have another job if you've got a job and you use platform work to top up your income you know it can be okay but if it's your main 
if you're economically dependent on it, then you're in a much more difficult situation. Some of it does look like, I mean, it's, it's, there's an app, but a lot of the problems in the area and a lot of the things that were coming through in the data we got on workers' protest was some really old school, old fashioned, very from kinds of kinds of problems and grievances that, that workers were experiencing. So what you say is, so this platform, they centralized a highly fragmented market. So now it's visible. What I always joke about, okay, before platforms, nobody cared about delivery people. But now they're visible and there's one company to, to, to blame or to, or to talk to. It's much more interesting to, to think something about it. What you say is also the money. So the platform subsidizing a rights on demand and supply. And the third one is that most of the times the people who are most dependent are also most precarious. Because people who use it for, uh, as a side job, which most platforms also really like to, to, to frame, of course, they already have social security and other works. So, so then we don't have to, to worry about, about that. And also, Vera, um, what was also or what is the goal also of the project? Because in the end, you're, you're doing lots of work with a big team, gathering lots of data, also have a nice website and, and, and events around it. So you also want to, to reach people in, in the outside world. So, so then also what is, except of course the nice academic clinch and, 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 the, and the nice talks and discussions about gamification and all this kind of stuff, what is it also that you also want to reach in the, in the non-academic world with this, with this project? It was very important for us from the start that we realized we are actually creating a database that can be very useful to actors. So in particular to labor activists, trade unions, policymakers, to understand better where is action happening against what companies, where are alliances building up. And while, yes, you're right, we are, we are writing our academic papers for a small audience with this project. So first of all, we want to extend it. At the moment, we are looking at four sectors, but the methodology we have created is really suitable to other sectors as well. So first, we can look at, at other occupations in the platform economy itself, but we can also use the methodology to look at workers in the non-digital world of work. And so the, the work we have done has already created an interest into this. So the International Labour Organization contacted us and said, can you actually use this methodology and look how essential workers during the pandemic responded? We have seen a lot of protests by doctors and nurses um, can you give us a, a better understanding what happened globally in those sectors? And we modified the methodology and have produced a working paper for the ILO where we, we show it's actually possible to use it. And, and for the ILO, it was particularly interesting to see, okay, we know a lot about institutionalized social dialogue when we see it in collective agreements, but in the uprun to those forms of social dialogue there's happening a lot of protests that is maybe not so visible but if it's really important to take in that there's a lot happening before we see institutionalized forms of voice so we are really open to extend the sectors we are looking at so if if policymakers or or union bodies or other bodies are interested out there and saying oh we would like to understand what's happening in the construction sector and do you have a particular picture of the global south there we are open to expand and to collaborate on this 
I think that's that's the one one goal. And and the second is to make the data that we have already usable by labor activists. So at the moment, only a part of the data set we have is accessible to the public. So as you said on our website, you can basically go and type in and see, oh, where's protest against Uber happening? And I think that's already nice. You get a good overview in what countries happened something. But we have much more data on each event, which currently we are writing up in papers. But if particular actors are interested in saying, oh, we actually would like to get a better understanding what happened against Leif Arundo in, in these five countries, then this is potentially also something we, we could do and make available to actors. Simon, so you also have a background in the union sector. Does you also, because now what you're doing is, okay, we're mapping what's there. There's some data, but there's more data. Are you also thinking about, okay, how can you also use this to help others to organize, to see, okay, how can we also maybe look at the best practices or maybe just link them to each other or whatever to, to help people to organize within this, uh, this sector? I hope that the... the people who are trying to organize will find some of what we've done useful the the kind of the the big context for this at the beginning of platform work was just that commentators everywhere just kind of assumed that because these workers weren't employees and because they didn't have a factory and because algorithms were controlling the app that workers would not be able to organize themselves and would not and would be essentially voiceless And what, of course, everyone now realizes is that that wasn't the case, that workers did manage to organize and have raised their voices. And, it, and really, it's, you know, the, the reason why platform work is an issue in public discourse and in, for policymakers is because of what platform workers have done themselves to highlight the issues that, that they face. So I kind of, you know, I, I, I don't know if we're going to be able to say best practice because... To be honest, I, I feel like we're not the ones who will say what best practice is. It's the workers and the unions trying to organise. They'll figure that out and we'll just, you know, spot it in the data. We'll, we'll, we'll be able to track that. It, it's really, really interesting that, that, I mean, we've essentially got a, a natural experiment going on where it, where a new way of organizing a workforce, it, it, some similarities with the past, but a new combination, a new, a new workforce, a new way of running a workforce has come into being. And we can now get a picture of what it looks like when a new group of workers starts to organize themselves for the first time. And this mixed pattern of, of workers with no formal organization at all, where also where some established, well-established unions are getting involved, where there's everybody who's looked at it knows that there's small grassroots radical unions have grown really quickly. And then across the globe, in, in, in a lot of places, organisations that are uh, representing platform workers that aren't unions at all, they're just some kind of non-union organisation. And the picture that's emerged has changed even in the sort of like three or four years we've been looking at it and it's likely to change as well in the future i personally think i mean we don't like have an editorial view on this but my take on it is that it's still unclear there's there's some patterns emerged and we've got enough data that we can sort of analyze what the numbers tell us we've we've got enough data together on the index 
to sort of start to look at these things and look at how how it's different in different regions. The global south is different from the global north. South America is very different from North America. Asia is very different from Europe in terms of how this stuff plays out. So, you know, what we've got we'll put out there and I hope that activists will be able to find something useful there. We'll do our best to put the pictures together and say to people, look, this is how we think it looks. But really, a lot of the most interesting stuff is done in dialogue where we're very genuinely learning from what the workers themselves are doing, what they're managing to do. Because there's lots of stuff that no one would have expected five years ago. Can you give an example of something that you didn't expect five years ago that's happening right now or the last year? The unexpected thing is how much of an issue pay is. It's just the biggest issue by a long way. The really astonishing thing is how many of these protests take place where there's no sign of any union organisation at all. It's just groups of workers who got themselves together and said, you know, there's something going on. It's the pay or it's health and safety or it's the, the commissions that they get, that they get charged or, or whatever it is. And they go and protest about it. And, they, you know, they demonstrate outside platform offices or they do strikes and log offs and they do all this. And that's, the, that's for me, the really, really unexpected thing is... For, for decades, literally decades, people who study unions and management and industrial relations have associated strikes with unions. Um, and there's all these people out there who are taking part in all these workers' actions who are not in unions. They're just workers who've organised themselves. That's just a fascinating thing. And it kind of, for, for people who study this, for academics, it's basically wake up and smell the coffee time because it's... As important as unions are for understanding worker organisation and kind of and ha the politics that drive the regulation of labour markets, as one part of the, the politics that drive the regulation of labour markets, what workers do themselves is something that that really no one has had to pay attention to. But you can't understand what's going in platform work unless you pay attention to that. So that for me, that's the that's the standout, really remarkable thing about this. And Vera, do you also have something? It's interesting to, to emphasize that there's a lot of self-organized protest ongoing and, and we are probably all really surprised by how much there is ongoing and how much we captured. But I always tend to, to tell the story the other way around, that I was really surprised that how much unions are involved. So for a workforce you would, where five years ago you would assume, oh no, they, they are hard to reach for union, they are very difficult to access group of workers with no history in unions or no connections in the past, that our analysis shows that in, in 30% of the protest events, unions are involved. So there are forms of collaborations, some protests are driven by unions, and while the literature might kind of suggest it's more like grassroots unions, it's also the established unions and the mainstream unions. So it's like, yeah, 30% in total, and it's almost like half-half is by grassroots and half is by established unions. So I always feel like there's a really good story to tell for, for trade unionists, that, that actually the picture is not as, as, as dark as you might assume, so that there's already some really good success stories for established unions in, in organizing. And if, if you look at Germany, so a country I, I know 
more for I've done more research and where one of our team members is, is doing research for his PhD on. So it's there the one German trade union has been massively successful in establishing works councils in 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 platforms. And that was I think a good example of collaboration between an established union and, and workers themselves. So they they had like kind of worker cooperative and then they went into the union and said, can we get some help from you? And they started collaborating and then had this really good success story of forming a lot of work councils. And then also do unions need to reinvent themselves? Because I really see in many countries unions struggling with this gig economy. And which also about representing, sometimes they're not representing, but they're, but they're, they're doing action or, or lawsuits in many cases. And what I see is that most of the time they, find, they really find it hard also in collaborating with platforms to, to have the, we agree to disagree. But let's say in Belgium, but also in Germany with IG Metal, with the crowdsourcing codes, they say, okay, we don't agree that you're using freelancers, but besides that, we're going to see how we can make things better for the workers, the people we represent. So what do you think are also success factors for unions that did manage, manage to, to be successful within representing and also facilitating people to organize? I think it was a thinking out of the box was contributing to success. So if, if you allow yourself to be inventive and not just follow the kind of pathway that you have, how you have done things in other sectors before, that, but that you were open to speak to to maybe a category of worker you haven't spoken before to, that you were open of experimenting with some of the the men's that, that the, the riders had invented. Um, so copying maybe some of the social campaign methods, the role of social media, and having an attitude that not we know everything better at as established trade unionists, but that we can also learn something from the from the movement. Um, I think that 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 helped a lot in collaborating, and then they could offer a lot of support to the riders that they didn't have accessible in terms of knowledge and resources. And where they encountered on equal footing, I think that that helped both very well. And I think they also can help each other in different stages because what you also was writing in some reports that in the end, the self-organization of workers is really strong, especially when a certain event happened. But then it's most time for a really short periods because it's a really diverse group. Many people are doing the work only for a couple of months. So the people that initiate, they will be gone in six months. So we also need to find, find ways how unions can, can build on the self-organized actions of workers. Yeah, the turnover, of course, is a huge problem. Also the turnover of activists. And we, we don't have data on this in our leads index but we drilled down in some of the cases that we know much better and there again a successful factor i think was to hire some of the activists at trade union officials so that you have a kind of personal continuity so i think that was a very clever move yeah because those people they're probably already interesting motivated to 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 yeah to do this kind of kind of kind of work yeah and they have the expertise of the sector because they worked as writers themselves then they then they became 
like kind of group leaders, then they organized, then they, they were leading the campaigns. And then if they become then professional trade unionists, you, you just combine the expertise of the field and then the knowledge as a trade unionist. I think yeah. that was, and not fairly enough, not every union is prepared to do so and to invest their resources in that kind of way. But where it happened, it was very successful. And one of the things I also really like about the index is a global approach, because uh, also with the Wage Inequality Foundation, really, really look to global. And in many discussions, uh, global is US and, and EU. And there are more countries here on the on the globe, where also the impact of these platforms is also on the worker much different. Also, what I also read in one of your reports, the reasons to protest by region. If you look at employment status, let's say in, in Europe, North America, it was quite high. But let's say in Asia and in Africa, it was 5%. So what kind of difference do you also see within the, the parts of the world where they have the different institutional environments and also the, the needs of the workers with data of the protests? We find more protests over employment status in the parts of the world where having employee status makes a big difference. And there's some parts of the world where it just doesn't make much difference or where You know, in a lot of the global south where employment is anyway predominantly informal. It, it, you know, it's not an issue that very often workers want to protest about generally. You know, in, in Europe it means something if you're an employee as opposed to if you're self-employed or, you know, legally self-employed or contractor status or whatever. In a lot of countries where there's employee status, there's also minimum wage regulations. Getting yourself legally classified as an employee can mean an increase in wages at that end of the labour market. So, so that's an that's an important thing. And the the other the other big difference which you you know alluded to in your question is in is that in a, a lot of the global south, some some platform work is by no means the worst jobs people ever had. So it's one of the things that comes out in case studies, for instance, in China and in India is, you know, in China there's food delivery workers who took the job, went to do that kind of work because they previously worked in construction and the pay was better if they're delivering food. Studies of, of taxi app drivers in India, similarly, who are saying this is the best paid job they've ever had. Even though, and that, But then you get other complications, like it's very common for taxi app drivers in India to have taken out huge loans to pay for the car. So it's not uncommon to have like between 80 and 90% of their income going on finance payments for the car. But that means that small changes in the, the mileage rate that they get paid or the, or the commission that the, that the platform takes can be absolutely disastrous for, for the individual doing the driving. So there's again a, a strong motivation to take action over protest action over, over financial, straightforward financial matters. Yeah. The first period that we looked at was from the beginning of 2017 to the middle of 2020. And so that was just into the start of the pandemic. And we've now been able to, we've, it's now almost up to current. We're just working on the data for the end of last year, and then we'll be able to bring it, hopefully then keep it current up to date, uh, is is how the the numbers of protests and the and the grievances involved shifted. So One of the big things we find as the pandemic really took off was that health and safety issues really came to the fore in the protest, which was especially strong in South America. And and that was something really, I mean, that kind of makes us think that the, because you know, there's always the question about whether the data is reliable. And when you see a shift that you might, that 
that that you know a shift in the data that you know fits with with global events that actually did take place that makes us think you know what the, the difficulties and frustrations of working with this kind of data that we did actually track real events so and again going back to the question of union organization the the, the fact that this it's we're, it really is still in the early days of this industry and of this kind of worker organization so we expect you know, we, the plan is to keep the index running. So in the next, in five, come back and talk to us in five years' time and we'll, then we, we'll see, you know, did the unions get to 30% and stop or did they learn the kind of lessons that Vera's talking about then continue to expand the membership? What, how have the global patterns changed and so on? We'll be able to track those over time. And uh, will the answer be only unions or also different ways of more organizing like cooperatives or, or different other ways? Yeah, who knows? It, who, uh, who knows? It, we, we do see cooperatives, but there's, we've, got, we've got colleagues in the, in, our, in the business school who study workers' cooperatives and they tend to be long-lasting and successful in, in occupations where there's quite a high level of skill and and that, that gives it a kind of sustainability where obviously in platform work people come and go you're right so quickly a bit different in taxi driving but whether it's capable of sustaining that kind of long-term organization of, of cooperative types is a bit too early to tell I'm, I'm a bit doubtful that it that it will but people keep trying it so maybe it will stick maybe they'll figure out a way of doing it yeah and then we'll be successful in yeah the end. yeah yeah And from you, did you also, especially also from the from the global perspective, were there also something that that you, that you discovered that 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 surprised you? Yeah, the health and safety was much more of an issue in the global south, um, and also the kind of relationship to the occupations that were in competition. To the platform workers, so we we saw we saw much more violence against, let's say, um, from taxi drivers against Uber riders, for example. What we didn't spot before that there's what is going on not only so contestation against, let's say, the platforms, but also contestation against platform workers from the professions that are pushed out of the market by the new platform model and a lot of contestation against the state so where there's a call for action for more regulation for more protection in terms of health and safety yeah that was i think what i found particularly interesting as well and we've started a series of country reports so if you're particularly interested in 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 some countries we kicked off with mexico and germany but there will be regularly country reports coming out now where you get a really good grasp of what's particular in one particular country and as Simon said we we are keeping it update now so there will be some monthly summaries of what happened each globally so if, if you if you follow us on twitter or on the website we will post those updates regularly so that you don't have to wait for the next paper or anything <laughs> I think I would like to say thank you as well to the research office in the business school who supported us tremendously in getting this off the ground. And of course, also to Digit, who 
partly funded us, so that was it wouldn't have been possible without those two institutions and the numerous PhD students who dedicated a lot of their time and passion to improve the tool and to collect the data. Yeah, that was that was really great. So thanks to everybody as well if we have the chance to do so here. And thank you very much both for the nice interview and also your work. I think it's really nice being here in, in, in Leeds. I was already following you for, for a while. It's nice to see also how you also explore and, and also sharing more data because I think everybody needs to share more data to make to make impacts. So thanks for your work. I will share the links in the description of this this podcast. So if you want to have more information, you can see the websites of the of the Leeds Index. It is clear that the team behind the index are doing important work. The fact that there is now more insight into the nature of protests, their organization, the difference by country and continents, as well as the goal that working people want to achieve with protests is incredibly valuable. Although making an overview sounds simple, the researchers have done a monster job in finding and coding the data found online in almost 5,000 articles. Of the protests, the motivation, form, people involved, size, duration, type and the motivation of workers were mapped. Interestingly, workers' motivations vary so much from continent to continent. For instance, platform workers in Asia struggle above average for higher pay. In North America, for the status of and conditions for the worker. In Latin America and Africa, for health and safety. And in Africa, for better compensation for the materials needed to carry out the work. This kind of data and insights help us to better understand the forms of protests and the desires of platform workers. That the team behind the index does this without value judgments and in a way that includes the non-platform context is very pleasant and important. For me, the Leeds Index is an example of how researchers can work together and invent new ways of research with the aim of making not only scientific but also societal impact. I will therefore definitely accept the invitation to visit the team again in five years and look forward to the developments and lessons from this project. Thanks for listening to the Gig Work Podcast, a podcast brought to you by the Wage Indicator Foundation. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and also check our weekly newsletter, research, publications and online webinars on the global gig economy. You will find the links in the show notes.